Hey, it's the SEMA show. I'm getting dressed and my floorboards are squeaky. Listen. Okay, so that's what that is. I am getting ready to go into San Francisco for the first time, perhaps since the pandemic started, or rather since, you know, Bay Area lockdown started. I feel like I've gone to San Francisco for some, I don't know. I certainly have driven through it when I went and picked up my folks at the airport that time. But um, this is the first time I'm going to a theater indoors to, to a screening of a film that's going to be at ODC San Francisco. And uh, I'm kind of excited and I'm also terrified. I'm going to be masked up. And I was actually thinking, oh, I should be stylish in my masking. So I'm trying to make sure I pick... I think I'll just wear black, classic black mask. Anyway, so while I was in the shower, I don't know about you all, but when I'm in the shower, the thoughts are flying, unless I'm singing, in which case then I'm just singing. But I'm always like talking and talking and talking. And a friend of mine today said something about like how I can just, without preparation, have all these like things to say that are fairly coherent. And I explained that that is because I spent my entire childhood talking largely to myself. So I've been in dialogue with myself and uh, listening to myself yabber forever. And uh, I remember there was not an intentional effort, but uh, a stab at, I guess, accidental stab at shaming me about that when I was little. I remember I used to get stomach aches every day. (laughs) You know, every day, Uh, anxiety, stomach aches. And so I used to sit on the turlet even though there was no, nothing gastrointestinal involved. And just like talk to myself, just trying to talk myself down. Oh my God, I just put on these pants that I got at this thrift store that look freaking amazing. Okay. Um, what, 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 what am I saying to you? Hmm. Oh yeah, so I used to talk to myself, talk myself, try to talk myself down, you know, from the stomach aches. And then my mom would sometimes, I would hear her go, Seema, who are you talking to? And I would say, obviously, I'm the only one in here. I'm talking to myself. Clearly, I'm talking to myself. You think it's funny? God damn it. Anyway, so I was thinking about that, and I wanted to say that. And then in the shower, two things came up. I thought of another embarrassing story and another shame story. And my other friend, uh, Josh, in fact, said... You know, he didn't think my shame story about my boogers um, was, like, particularly high-stake shame, which I agree. You know, the point was just that low-stake shame can still live in the body. Even a low-stake shame can be something you refrain from telling people because you feel ashamed. Um, But I have a a, a much higher-stake shame to share. Again, I don't even think I told my shrink this story. (sighs) But I don't know if I'm going to tell it right now. Because, zip, because I also realized, and this is another totally different pathway, that this month, this July, marks, I don't know what date exactly, but a few days ago, and maybe that's why I've been feeling slightly out of sorts, um, five years since I had my my boob tissue completely scooped out, replaced with fake stuff in the case of five years ago of this month, Um, I was given what are called expanders. 
So I don't know, just, you know, buckle up. I'm going to talk a little bit about mastectomies now. And I also want to say that the word mastectomy, the word cancer, the word chemotherapy, those words used to terrify me. Like I could barely like hear them without flipping out. And now that I've lived through all of them, um, I realize they, the words themselves don't have a lot of power. Um, and, but, and that makes me think, on the one hand, words are power. Words are powerful. I, of course, believe that. I write them and I speak them all the time. Uh, and at the same time, I think it's useful to disempower certain words or normalize them. So I thought, okay, when you're in it, when you're in an anniversary mode, which is what I'm in now, it's the anniversary of that original mastectomy. Uh, it's worth talking about. I think I'm gonna wear Lucia's diamond earrings. Yeah, I'm wearing them. They're hers. We share earrings. Okay. Um, Times it. Oh, yeah, I don't have to go yet. Oh, how funny. Right now as I'm talking, my friend John just texted me and I was just thinking, I'm going to call John when I get in the car. So hold on, hold on to your hats and glasses and your horses, John, because I'm going to call you when I am done, when I'm in the car on my way to ODC. Maybe you're going too. Ooh, it'd be good to see you. Okay. So um, what's my point? What's my point? Oh, I can't find the other earring though. Okay. So five years ago, I had a double mastectomy because I am a BRCA1 gene carrier, you know, which puts me in company with Angelina Jolie and Christina Applegate. And Christina Applegate, um, who's in that amazing Netflix show, Dead to Me, um, she was on Terry Gross and Terry Gross asked her about her cancer or something and, or about the mastectomy and she's like, yeah, it was, it's, a, it's an amputation getting your boobs scooped out. And I didn't really think of it that way um, because it was more scooping than chopping. Um, and I remember my surgeon saying, you had the most interesting breast tissue. It just peeled right out, like it peeled right off. Which, you know, I think I was like high on God knows what medicine when she said that. So I was just like, cool. Um, okay, wait, I'm looking for a shirt. There's a particular shirt that I won't wear. I don't want to wear. This is the good thing about Bay Area summers. It's not hot. And so I can wear like, Boots. <laughs> this makes no sense. I'm wearing boots. I'll wear this shirt and I won't get too hot in this one. Okay. I'll wear my podcast outfit. This is making no sense. Okay. Well, what's my point? Uh, I wanted to say that. Oh, so, so um, after, the, after you get them scooped out, you can't usually just get your like implants put in, your permanent implants, because um, the, it's like you, the skin has to like, you have to like slowly grow into the skin. I don't know how to explain it. All I'm saying is they put these expanders in and this is where the hilarity happens. I mean, or tragedy, depending on your perspective, but I thought this was pretty funny. Um, You go to the plastic surgeon lady and she injects fluid into these expanders and like slowly blows them up like once a week or something like that. And, uh, until you're happy with the size. And I will never forget the last time I went in and she was like, what do you think? And I was like, yeah, I think this is a pretty good size. She's like, you want to see what it's like bigger? And I was like, well, she's like, I can always just like put some into one of them and then you can take a look and then I can always, you know, pull it back out, syringe it out, whatever. And I was like, okay. So she actually pumped up one boob and then I like stood in front of the mirror and like looked from side to side. I was like, yeah, that's too big. And then she unpumped it. 
And now I have these very perky ladies that I have today, though I'm not a fan of these implants. They are annoying, and so I'm considering uh, something new at some point. Although I don't really believe in or want to deal with elective surgeries unless they are totally necessary, which makes them not elective, right? Okay, my nose is very red. Oh, I should wear makeup. God damn it, but I hate putting on makeup. Nor do I even know where my makeup is. Oh, is this it? All right, I'll bring it with me. Maybe I'll put it on in the car. I'm not very skilled at. Okay. Um, but I wanted to say also that one of the funniest things about working with a plastic surgeon for me was we, we were at loggerheads because I was all about function and she was all about aesthetic. She was like, you don't want your nipples facing in opposite directions. And I was like, what? I just want to be able to move my arms and like dance around. And uh, she was like, well, you don't want too big of a space. Don't you want some cleavage? I was like, who cares about these things? I don't care about these things. I just want to be able to move. So we had funny conversations all the time. Uh, then I found out, and this is super, probably the creepiest thing, that they sit you up like in the middle of surgery after they put implants in and they check it out. So like a few months later, four months after the expanders, then they swap those out for the permanent, quote unquote, permanence. Um, they sit you up and like all the doctors and nurses are like, yeah, that looks pretty good. Or no, those aren't good. Try a different kind. I mean, I just, I can't even imagine. I know there's just, obviously surgery is traumatic, um, but I, I just can't imagine what is going on in your trauma body when you are asleep and people are doing all these very violent things to you, you know, to help you, but still. And then I think, well, better that than when they didn't have the anesthesia and that shit used to happen when you were awake. Anyway, okay, that was a little intense. You know, take a deep breath. And uh, next time I'll tell you about those shame stories, which are definitely lighter.